I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Let's go back to 2011 and look at the World Cup with Squidge. Let's go back to 2011 and look at the World Cup with Squidge. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good everything else, and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective Podcast, the podcast that at this point has heard ITV's A New Age Has Begun. That was really good. Played. Thank you. I've, I've got Did the you do voice. your vocal warm-ups? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's just being Welsh, you know, you just automatically get those pipes. I mean, I will add that uh, nobody, I mean, I didn't remark on this and nobody mm. who's listening knows this, but... Just before you pressed record, you mm. went rug, be like that. Uh, I thought that's that's a good vocal warm up. So it's just as well you did that before singing the end no, of the world I, in union. I just seen an insect on my carpet, and uh, it stung me, so it came out very high pitched. Uh, uh, I hadn't done that. Can I finish my intro? Yeah, finish your bit, man. Yeah, as you can say that, like I've probably heard that more than my own name over the last year. Because I've lived on my own in lockdown, right? And so I haven't heard my own name for any reason. But I've you, heard what, that a lot. What is your name while we're here? I genuinely don't know. I'm pretty sure it's... A new age has begun. I was, I was giving you a bit of a, an opportunity to introduce yourself on the podcast. Because a lot okay, of people sorry, who okay. listen to this don't know who you are. You know, a lot of people come just for me, so... Yeah, yeah. So you are... Uh, I'm Will Owen, a uh, rugby person. <laughs> Thank you. That is that hyphenated? Rugby, yeah, yeah, yeah. Will Owen rugby person? Yeah, no, three surnames. Yeah, yeah, triple yeah. barrel. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So like Will Owen, obviously they're two first names. So yeah, obviously yeah. that would be okay. first name. Like, why would it be anything else? Is Owen and actually then, your middle name legally, or is it? No, that's William part of my first is. name. That's part. Is it of my Will first Owen name. rather than William Owen? Yes. Uh, okay. That's so. That's my first name, and then my surname Deep is. Hole. Yeah. Well, that's just is that your middle how name? I was born, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep Hall is my middle name, and then. My surname is rugby hyphen person. Right. It's just that, a great case of nominative determinism. Yeah, I was about to say exactly that. It's really, really profitable. Yeah. Uh, likewise, we only chose to do this tournament because my name is... A new age has begun. And we thought, well, ITV played that at every given opportunity. Every ad break, beginning and end. Whenever they tried to do any transition to anywhere, they played that clip over and over again. And it every time made me turn around, like when you hear your name said by someone in the background, the ears prick up. And I did right. that every single time, no matter what I was doing, because yeah. that's my name. I mean, um, I've just really um, problematic. I've just found out via Google that this year there is a film coming out, or last year there was a film that came out mm. called The Crudes, A New Age. Yes. Uh, so when you press play on that, A New Age has begun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I um, I mean, it, it hasn't got a release in this country because they've saved it back for cinemas to reopen. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a new age hasn't begun a yet. A new age has not yet begun. But when a new age right. does begin, as it shall very soon, I'm sure. You know what? Uh, I saw a trailer for that before seeing Peter Rabbit 2 the other day, which is a horrible set right. of You know what? 
So Haley Westenroy's version of the Modern mm. Union. For this. Yeah, yeah. Why did she not sing "The Crudes and New Age Has Begun"? I think instead? she has actually. Oh, uh, she. I think yeah, yeah. Just it cut was that off her... on the thing. Yeah, it's between As her we and climb Emma Stone to do to it. To reach in... our destiny, the Crudes and New Age has begun. Yes, they're the lyrics to the Modern Union. That is. That's also the entire script to the forthcoming Nicolas Cage Emma Stone animated feature, "The Crudes and New Age." Oh, I see. Maybe, maybe because uh, it, it would appear. That, oh my God! This this film was edited by James Ryan. Whoa! <laughs> That's why he's not in the Lions Squad. He's too busy uh, making films. Working for and DreamWorks. That. Working for DreamWorks, indeed. Oh, what else right. has James Ryan yet to done? Has he done Shrek? Did James Ryan he, work on Shrek? He's the one person. Well, he's one of four people mm-hmm. involved with uh, the production of this film who doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Okay. So. I have opened his IMDb though, and okay. he also edited the Boss Baby. Oh yeah, yeah, the film where there's a boss the... who's a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's really good actually. That sounds, um, that's, that's great. There's this this boss right, uh, but they're a baby. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's just funny because yeah. he's just he's a he's a baby, but he's also but he's a also boss. a boss. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, they also play the mime in Captain Underpants, the first movie. No way. Which James Ryan does. doesn't speak. Yeah, James Ryan plays plays a bot, plays wow. a mime. Okay, and okay. they also play Story Bear in the Boss Baby. Okay, James okay. Ryan, what a what a multi talented That's a career that is. is. Yeah, and then he edited The Crudes, A New Age. Mm. And I mean, it's been certainly not uh, talked about films yet in our uh, knockout stage. So it's a really great use of podcast time to to discuss films on the on a semi final. But I completely agree. He played a character called Jimmy the Stock Boy. I don't know where, but that's the only thing on his trivia, is his character, Jimmy the Stock Boy, is based off his real name, which is James. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's, Just in he's case written. you hadn't worked it out. Yeah. Based well, on. he has two na- first names, right? So do you think yeah. maybe his last name is, is film uh, editor? Rug- rugby hyphen person as well. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he's James Ryan film editor to differentiate from maybe for example if they're different people which they're not yeah james ryan rugby player but this does he have must to become be both? such a surreal thing for james ryan the film editor mm-hmm. to find out his career being broken down in detail on a rugby podcast which it's as true. an american is a sport he's probably barely heard of yeah i get i guess so. there's also um there's an ex all black lot called james ryan as well actually mm, there is, from yeah. like 15 years ago or whatever so maybe maybe they're all the same person I think so. I think everyone with the same name is the same person. That's why I found the co-op, personally. That's why the founder of the co-op is now mm. A New Age Has Begun. Da, 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 da. Is that the name of the person who founded the co-op? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, and there was also a show on BBC Wales back in like 2006 or something uh, where Gwen from Torture was married to someone called A New Age Has Begun. Da, 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 da. That, those are people that... Um, don't share a name with me. That I do share I think you should change your name on Twitter to A New Age Has Begun Rugby. I think we should start the podcast. I think we've started so the podcast. So we are dickhead. here today to talk about New Zealand's win in the semi-final against Australia. Yeah. This is one of the last three games we have to talk about in the Rugby World Cup, so we had to get all the films out of the, it's the way. the third but... to last, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could say it's the second semi-final. It is, it is like, you know like the final? Yeah. It's like semi that. 
So the New Zealand team pick to pick up on that yeah. is largely the same. Uh, Israel Dad comes in for Mills Moliaina, who of course retired. Well, he hadn't retired yet, but he picked up the injury that eventually ended his All Blacks career. Yeah. Uh, and he, had, in the week, had that interview where he said he cried and said, "I'm now a former All Black." Yeah, he's kind of the big headline change. He comes in. Uh, Richard Kahui also comes in for Sonny Bill Williams on the wing. Yeah, Sonny Bill drops to the bench. Do you reckon that was that they, they thought Sonny Bill didn't play very well against Argentina on the wing? I don't know if they just thought, let's put, like, <laughs> I was going to say a proper winger on, let's put another centre on the wing. Sure, instead. sure, but I guess he's slightly more practised. And to be yeah. fair, like, he played very well against Tonga and, you know, like, the the yeah. the slightly smaller nations. He's generally been quite consistent throughout this mm. tournament. I mean, he, he does kind of stand out in that back line as, like, the one who feels like they're punching above the weight a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And you but... feel like if Mills Molina was fit, they would have considered even Dag on the wing, but... Mm. It's yeah. a weird like group of players that I love, that I think are fascinating, of players who had the form of their life immediately before a World Cup yeah. and then played in the World Cup winning team. Like, so like Nevi Munoskoda is now one of those. Right? Is, he's now he's like one the prime of one of them, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Because he was kind of world class for like three months. Yeah. He was unbelievably good for three months. It happened to be three months of the World Cup in which the greatest team of all time won the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's a bunch more. There's, there's loads in uh, 95 yeah. uh, of just South African players who were sort of milling around in club rugby then happened to win the World Cup in that, you know, Francois yeah. team. I feel like both the Australian winning teams have got a, a, a litter of them yeah. that have just, that kind of like peaked at the right time, you know. Yeah, Mark Regan. You know, yeah. there's there's a bun- bunch of players. It'd be interesting to see if any of the South African team end up like that. Yeah, yeah, and just kind of disappear into nothingness. Mm. You'd imagine no, given the no. way that they're going uh, going now in like in the amazing Rainbow Cup. You have a, an additional tier, which we won't get into, of players that had that same burst of form directly before Lions tour. Sure. And made the Lions, despite either side of that being kind of average players. Yeah. But they'll forever be... A lion, in some cases, even a test match, like you know, Ben Teo, yeah, um, yeah. just fitted what the coach wanted, and Which is somehow mental. it's a test match lion, yeah, two caps for the lions, yeah. So, yeah, so the New Zealand team, yeah, the other big change, however, the pack is unchanged from the, the quarterfinal, yeah, but at 10, due to the injury to Colin Slade, the second choice fly half after Dan Carter went off injured, in comes Aaron Cruden, and at one point during the anthem. They throw over to a shot of Aaron Cruden, and he looks like he's won a competition to sing the anthem with the team. Like he looks, he does not look like a professional rugby player doing his spot there. I I had a moment here where because like you can tell when the game starts that they don't have a lot of confidence in Cruden. Like they don't have a lot no. of faith in him because he's the third choice ten, and like they try their best to not bring him on the last game. Mm. If not for Slade's injury, you know he he would have stayed off the whole match. But. Yeah, it's weird to think that he was a year away from becoming a genuinely world-class player at this point. Yeah. Which I guess maybe that was a kick up the backside for him a little bit, was how... Winning a World Cup. Yeah, I guess so. But, like, how little people clearly believed in him. You know, they tried to send everything through Weepu and Nonu, like, either side of him. Uh, and then just kind of, like, whenever they had to throw to Cruden, they did. Mm. Yeah, but this was uh, this was his second start for the All Blacks. Right. His only previous wow. start was a year early in the Rugby Championship, like almost dead on a year before the World Cup started. I can remember Australia. that, and like he, he didn't kick the goals in that game either. And like at no, that point, he was uh, yeah, I, I believe that Graham Henry had said like Cruden can't kick goals as was a thing. This was so it was he 
could kick goals, but he was not a recognised goal kicker. Yeah. Uh, so they'd made a point in that game of starting Weepu, even though at the time Jimmy Cowan was very much Oh, yeah, he was the form scrum half, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but they'd had to bring Weepu in to start because they needed someone to kick goals above Cruden. Right. Cruden didn't kick for his club. He didn't, you know, he wasn't a recognised kicker. Yeah. He was, again, it was like, it's like if Henry Slade was seen as the goal kicker in the team or something, you know. Sure. Something like that that we know can kick goals. We have seen yeah, do it. Yeah, But it's not a goal kicker, does not do it regularly, especially yeah. at test match intensity. Sure. Never mind, you know, or club intensity even. Yeah. But no, I mean, that All Blacks pack obviously took Argentina to the cleaners. Mm. So Brad Thorne and Sam Whitelock retained and the back row of... Jerome Kano, Richie McCaw and Kieran Reid is what ultimately won that match. The So just to mention it, Cruden's only cap before this, yeah. right? The All Blacks, he was brought off on 59 minutes. The All Blacks were 22-9 behind. Wow. Colin Slade comes on and they score two tries and win the game. Wow, that is a, not a lot of faith they're going to have in Cruden. No. So that was where Cruden was coming from, right? right? And since then, he then had kind of fallen out of contention for the All Blacks. As so that's then how taken Slade that. like leapfrogged him. That was it. That was the that moment game. that it changed. It was wow. that game from there on out. Did not realise that. So he then, beyond, you know, after that game, uh, he didn't play for the All Blacks again until coming off the bench against Argentina. Wow, that's mental. Cup. So he wasn't trusted to win games, right? No, okay, well, he wasn't. I mean, they didn't even play him in the World Cup warm-ups. He wasn't in the wider squad. He wasn't con- considered. We got we got caught up in the white-baiting discussion last week uh, yeah, with, yeah. Or with the uh, New Zealand-Argentina game the other week. But I can remember when uh, Slade went down in that game, after the game, Sean Fitzpatrick in the pundit box saying, look, we need to just say solve the rules and call up Nick Evans from Harlequins. Yeah, and he was saying that like, look, he's he's the one ten we basically have left who I know will do the job, and obviously mm. for the All Blacks, there's so much pressure on them as we've alluded to a lot of times before, uh, and this is such a precious World Cup for them, and like, it was kind of like if they don't win this one, will they ever win a World Cup? You know, and it it did feel like, and I I didn't disagree with Sean Fitzpatrick that you had to bring in somebody who you knew was a world class ten, mm. even if you technically aren't allowed because he plays in England, you know, because the All Blacks don't yeah. pick players who don't play in New Zealand. And that is just a policy. That's a rule. Like, it, it, when you leave one of the New Zealand clubs, you know what you're signing up for. You know you can't play for the All Blacks anymore, you know? Yeah. And them saying, just look, break the rules and call up Nick Evans instead of Aaron Cruden. That's how little faith people had in him and Stephen Donald, I guess, as well. And that was a wide opinion. That was talked about before yeah. the World Cup. That was talked about especially that week before Cruden was called up. Yeah. And when he was called in, despite the fact, you know, he's played that handful of games, uh, he's got a try against Wales off the bench, but that was kind of it. You see, right, yeah. been, you know, his one start hadn't gone particularly well and then he'd been dropped. It kind of became this, you know, he kicked one goal, which is the conversion between the posts. Yeah. That was that was all he had to his name. That's really. crazy, that is. Uh, so he's then called in. He starts at 10 and on the bench comes Stephen Donald, who doesn't get on in this game. No, he's yeah. just there as a warm too busy body, white just in case on the, yeah. the sideline in the Waikato River. Only if they have another fly half go down injured that Stephen Donald will come on, and that's clearly not going to happen. You know, their luck's not that bad. What, like, genuinely, I don't know who who they would have had left if uh, they. I mean, uh, we won't spoil what happens in the, in the next game with Aaron Cruden, mm. but uh, that if, happened a year earlier. Yeah, if a game a week earlier. Sorry. Yeah, if. Aaron Cruden had if it gone happened down. a year earlier, they'd be fine. You know, if, Carter would have been fit. Yeah, yeah. If they'd lost another ten, mm. like I genuinely don't know who I, would have been left. Would do, they have you know to go for a do young you know Tom Taylor? Could have happened, what? right? That year, Gareth Anscombe had played incredibly well for the under twenties. Uh, yeah, that's true. That summer, 
right? Very true. Would they have gone, let's call up Gareth Anscombe? Then that's an enormous sliding doors moment. Yeah, it is, massively. If Donald or Cruden went down injured in that's this That's really game. interesting. If if anybody is listening from New Zealand, please let us know, because like I mm. can't remember who the informed Super Rugby fly halves were that aren't the four that went. Yeah. So, yeah, if there's anybody that we're forgetting, please like, let us know. No, countries don't produce five international class tens at a time no you know Why would like you new zealand to... had five yeah they as you say you, you don't have a sixth you know there, there probably was an equivalent of Terry black or something yeah floating about yeah but it, it was either him or they go and i reckon this is what they would have done they would have called up anscombe or barrett from the 20s yeah and yeah. anscombe was the one playing tennis he was the one getting more headlines at the time yeah so that becomes a, as i say that becomes a whole different deal if gareth anscombe plays for the yeah. All maybe the um the 12 year old richie mwanga could have got a game <laughs> yes I don't know. There's 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 options there. Or do they just go? We're going to play Mar Nonu at ten. You know, yeah, we're going to I hope so. that one of them's fit and they stay the whole time. And Put Sonny Bill there. Yeah, old, yeah. Dag. Mind you, Piru Wipu played there against Canada, didn't he? Yes. Uh, and was decidedly average. So uh... is your Dag played some ITM Cup level rugby at ten? That's true. You know. But yeah, so anyway. that's the All Blacks team. Yes. Uh, Australia to say we're not at the kickoff yet. Australia named what was going to be a very settled team. Yeah. Uh, the only change would have been that Nathan Sharp dropped off the bench for Rob Simmons. Yeah. Who is described by Nick Mullins in commentary as the young Rob Simmons, which I thought was a brand new sentence. I've never heard that before. I'm pretty sure he's always been 31. Yeah, it feels like, it feels like he's he's been on the brink of retirement for a long time. Mm. So Australia named the same 15. Then the day before the game, Kurtley Beale pulls out injured. And yeah. they shuffle Adam Ashley Cooper to full... Well, they they realise they have a handful of options, right? They consider they can either shuffle Adam Ashley Cooper to fullback and bring someone in the centre, or, uh, and this is what they did first, they, they ran to the airport, like the end of a rom-com, to check if Martin Rodriguez fancied playing fullback. Yeah. So you can have someone who's yeah. less of a dick in their team. Yeah. Less of a dick of the day liability. Uh, he went, ah, no, vamos, got on, got on his plane, flew off. Yeah, flew yeah. Away. And instead they were left going... Anthony, Anthony, are you free on Saturday? Yeah, and so, and uh, I mean, I, I can remember at the time thinking like, oh, that's strange. They've gone O'Connor on the wing with Ashley Cooper fullback rather than the other way around. Rather yeah. than thinking, they've picked Amfinger in the centre for a World Cup semi-final. This yeah. is the biggest game of a lot of these guys' lives. And certainly the biggest game of Anthony Fainger's life. Yeah, that's mad that that guy has, has started a World but Cup they... semi-final. They even could have put Rob Horn or Barrick Barnes in the centre. I know, that's my favourite thing, the fact they have two centres on the bench, one of them being Barrick Barnes. I know, it would have meant shuffling things around and putting McCabe at 13 or whatever. We keep making this point that at the time I rated Anthony Ferngar, I thought he was a good, solid 13. I thought he was a good player. And watching every game of this tournament back, I have realised that was not the case. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mind you, he wasn't as spectacularly terrible in this game as he has been before. We'll, we'll get onto this. We'll get onto this. But otherwise, yeah, same Australia team. And they kick off and the kickoff goes oh badly. My God. So public enemy number there one, Quade a... Cooper, yeah. takes the kickoff. And you're thinking, okay, so I'm vilified in Eden Park. Like, I, I am wanted dead in this stadium. Uh, you know what I could do? I could either play well or I could get these, these guys on my side. I watched a chunk of uh, ITV's pre-match coverage. They did one of those that we mentioned, uh, one of those pieces that were very good about Quade Cooper, where they did like vox pops and asked people, uh, right. some, you know, for, like, what's the first word that comes to mind when you hear about Quade Cooper? One person just swore at them. Oh my gosh. Just like, I hate that guy. Uh, one person said criminal, and someone said, that's a bit harsh, and he said, okay, Australian, same thing. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, what yeah, yeah. And it was that kind of thing. And then that's also the infamous interview where they asked David Campese about him. Right. And David Campese said, you know, had a go at him and said, like, I don't think he's a real deal. I don't think he's good. Right. I don't think he's good enough, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> to which the interviewer replied, Gabriel... Um, Gabriel Clark. Uh, Gabriel Clark. Like, I was going to say Gabriel Byrne, but it is not it is not the Irish actor Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, to which Gabriel Clark replied, and Aussie having a go at Never Aussie. And he said, nah, he's a Kiwi. And I'm an Italian. I, I think I can remember this. This, I, this yeah. rings a bell now. Yeah. I, however, didn't watch the ITV coverage. I mm. instead watched the secondary Australian coverage where the commentator was a guy called Ray Hadley uh, okay. and he was assisted by George Gregan and John Eels. And I'm going to play you my favourite piece of commentary from that game. Okay. <laughs> Could you imagine if Digby Iwanu actually finished that try and it was like, this is a historic, like, amazing Rugby World Cup try mm. to seal the game against the All Blacks or put the Wallabies in the lead or whatever. And he started the commentary with James O'Connor. <laughs> Looks a bit like Justin Bieber. <laughs> but I like how he, he, says it, the he says it in the present tense. Like, that is what yeah. James O'Connor is currently doing. Like, oh, James O'Connor steps to his right. James O'Connor yeah. kicks the ball. James O'Connor passes. James O'Connor looks like Justin Bieber. <laughs> I mean, we'll get to that. We'll get to that moment later on. Yeah, but yeah, there's, there was that. That was kind of James O'Connor was very much the pretty boy, and Quade Cooper was very much the public enemy number one. I was talking about all of, yes. all around. That was what most of the builders seemed to focus on was Quade, Quade Cooper. Yeah, and how much he's hating New Zealand. Yeah, that was what they talked about in all the lead up, and then they were talking about it solidly. And Nick Mullins could do like the smoothest introduction to him putting the ball out on the full because it go like, and he's looking for a great start, and he's not got it. He's put the ball out on the full. Oh dear, Quade! I just love that. Like it's it, it's one of the things that it's like you really don't help yourself sometimes, do you, Quade? Like mm. we are literally. Zero minutes and three seconds into the game, and Quay Cooper has made a mistake. He's already put the ball out on the fall. <laughs> and so begins a Quade Cooper breakdown. Like, he, yeah. he basically has a complete and utter meltdown for most of the game. Yeah. He has the... There was that, that narrative around Quade Cooper's entire career that, you know, he, he when he's good, he's good, but when he's bad, he's terrible. But mm. he actually didn't have that many bad games. Like sure. Every now and again, he'd make a big mistake, but he rarely had a game where yeah. he was completely Where he was like compounding the errors. But this one he was. What I do respect is that he he like he didn't go into a shell at all, Quaid mm. Cooper. Like He did keep trying things, but the All Blacks just didn't let them come off. No. And like the sheer amount of pressure they put on him from minute one to minute 80 was just ruthless. Um, yeah. And like that kick meant that within 50 seconds of kickoff, Piruwipu had slid a kick into the Australian five meter channel and they were already on their own try line because of that from Quay Cooper. Yeah. And so begins this enormous period of pressure that I think yeah. the All Blacks in the first 10 minutes from that kick onwards, from the moment they smell some blood, you know, like a shark, they then just bite in and they don't let go of Australia. Yeah. And after 10 minutes, it should have been 13-0, but Perry Weepu misses two kicks of goal. Yeah. I uh, think I think in the, that 10 minutes, 13-0 would have been kind to Australia. In yeah. terms of how good the All Blacks I were. reckon this this first 10 yeah, to 13 minutes, mm. right, that is as good as anybody's played all World Cup. Like, that, that is the I best a, yeah. period the All Blacks have played the whole tournament. I thought that. I, and yeah, possibly, yeah. possibly any team. Like, the, the attacking shape was bang on. Like, we mm. spoke in the last game about... 
against Argentina, their shape was fine. In that first yeah. 10 minutes, their shape was on point and they had a few really, really great attacks. There was one where Cruden fizzes this pass across to Corey Jane and it, it mm. slides into touch instead. But it's one of those where you, like, you don't mind it because he's gone for a yeah. really super ambitious pass. And if it comes off, then he's probably going into, into score. Uh, and Israel Dag has a great counter-attack at one point. Uh, there's a, a great bit where Corey Jane kicks ahead, forces James O'Connor to, gra- to ground the ball behind his own trial line after handing off Richie McCaw. And you know what? It was a great fend by O'Connor on Richie McCaw, and it feels like yeah. it was wasted on uh, his own trial line. Uh, Nick but... Mullins is really annoyed about that. He, he starts screaming, James O'Connor, what's he doing? What are you doing, James O'Connor? What are you doing? But actually, like, he's carried the ball back over his try line. Yeah. And he's trying to beat... He managed to beat two people when he's got four to yeah. beat. And he can't and quite a, manage it. As a right-footed kicker, it's five. the hardest thing you can yeah. you can have there. But it's the... How relentless the All Blacks are doesn't just come from how good their attack is. As you said, there's the, uh, the attack there by yeah. Cruden. There's another one where he slides through a gap that sort of wasn't there. Yes, he does that dummy. That's a, yeah, it's a proper involuntary noise moment. Yeah, that's fantastic dummy. As a you know, like that's a proper settler if you're a young ten, yeah, and you can slice through the attack like absolutely that a few minutes into the game, yeah. It's not just their attack, but most of that comes from how good their kicking game is. Yeah. So you've got you mentioned the Corey Jane one. There's one phase pretty much on that whole period where the All Blacks go backwards, where yeah. there's another shot, and straight away Nonu slide like they still a quick ball after going backwards, and Nonu slides a kick in behind, and they trap the the, the wall to be backwards, their, right? Their kick and it still feels like the All Blacks are completely so... on top unbelievably yeah. good the kick chase but their timing um, and the accuracy of the kicks the kicks they're putting in yeah. are just excellent you know like and a lot of things have changed about rugby over the last 10 years yeah but a good kicking game is broadly speaking the same thing there was absolutely no room for david pocock to come in and pill for the ball like he did against South africa as well so there's one where he does try and he's penalized by craig twice. joubert twice twice right. he gets penalized twice in his first 13 minutes yeah and both of them i think he would have got away from the previous game uh, that's it i think he probably was getting the feelers out a little bit and yeah that first one was stroke between the posts and you know you don't think david pocock would give away a penalty that's that convertible you know mm. you think he no he's not i don't think that's deliberate at all no i i, I, uh, no, I, I think don't he's, think he's it's genuinely just going for i think he's going for the ball and yeah. and wanting to know what the referee's boundaries are a little bit yeah and Craig Joubert, after all of the discourse that went on, and like I imagine in ITV there was a lot of discourse about Bryce Lawrence mm. and what went on the previous week. But with all of that having gone on, referees would have been super aware of Pocock and what he will try and get away with at the breakdown. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Pocock makes three turnovers because he's two penalties at the breakdown. Right. Which for David Pocock, those are very poor statistics. Yeah. So, and I think tell you he, how he well... Got, he was in double figures of turnovers the previous week, right? Something like that. I think he got yeah. like eight or nine. Yeah. Right. Which is an absurd number. Yeah. Right. But like for David Pocock, that's fairly, that's what he, that's what he does. Yeah. So the fact that the All Blacks kept him to basically like plus one as yeah. a, you know, in terms of value of wins v given away. Yeah. Is as impressive as anyone ever managed against him, you know, yeah. without you doing the thing, where was it a few times where they individually targeted sure. him, several yeah. men on him to take yeah. it out. Which the All Blacks weren't doing. They just no. managed them because they were so useful. They were just really account. efficient. Yeah. Yeah. There's So five minutes into the game is one of sort of the key points of the entire game. And mm. I'll level with you. I thought this was about 20 minutes in. Me too. Uh, I seem I to remember this being so a lot later, later on. Yeah. But my God, that capping off this insane period of pressure that's gone off where basically Marnonu scores a try in mm. which Israel Dag just decides, yeah, let's, let's score a try, boys. Yeah, 
So he absolutely blitzes on the outside of Rocky Elson, yeah. uh, who misses him. Oh, like he that's comes a hell of a step, that is. He comes at the outside of him with such pace and then changes to the, you know, yeah. he's running at the outside shoulder. He runs then, steps slightly, goes on the outside. Yeah. Then, yeah, gets around the first guy covering, I think it's actually Cooper. Yeah. And Quade Cooper gets back and manages to make the tackle. He then kind of very gracefully, like like a like an ice this skater, is a kind of attack. manages to, yeah, like free his legs, raise his legs up. You know, get his arm round and offload to Nonu, who's just kind of waiting now on the try line. Just I, go like, thanks. I imagine yeah, people would down. have seen this try before because it's quite a famous yeah. try, but I can't quite do it justice because it's one of those where his body is at an angle where throwing an offload shouldn't be possible. Yes. Like, he, he has sidestepped, try and go around Quade Cooper, is tackled, he falls to the floor, and as his shoulder blade is about to hit the touchline, he manages to throw the ball one-handed infield to Nonu, and it goes perfectly into his bread basket, and he just has to go five metres and score. Like, it is yeah. such an unreal offload. And I suppose it's one of those things that, <laughs> if the person is there in support, you can get the ball to them. But I don't get that. Like, I, it's one thing I hate, because I feel like, and I don't hate it, but I'm just very mm. jealous of it, because... I, I wish it was that simple rather than like having to think about freeing your arms and actually throwing the pass. Like yeah. I can remember there was, um, speaking of Aaron Cruden, so the next year against Ireland, there was a try Sonny Bell scored off first phase on a scrum where Aaron Cruden just on first phase takes yeah, the ball right. into contact and then on the floor does an insane pass out the back of his, out, out back of his arm uh, and Sonny mm-hmm. Bell just regathers it and sprints in for about 40 yards. And it's just like, what was the call there? Like, uh, <laughs> yes. what have you? What what did what made you decide you were going to do that and just go? Yeah, let's score, like that. Absolutely. Yeah. How is it that easy? It's incredible. Yeah. Though I will note one thing. Right. Yeah. Have you noticed the contribution of our friend Amfinger in this try? No, I haven't. Okay, uh, I'm going to send you an angle of this try right now, and I'd like you to just keep an eye on Anthony Fienga. We are going to watch this now. Okay. Yeah. Ball comes out. It goes here to Dag. Oh, I can see watch Anthony Fienga. Oh my god. Oh my god, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. He just stepped Here we are. away from... Oh no. He, he actually steps away from Israel Dag and just lets him straight through. It's not a missed tackle because he doesn't even try to tackle him. Yeah. He just gets out like, of the way. In order for that to go down on your stats as a missed tackle, you have to be somewhat close to him. Yeah. He's probably just trying to massage his stats so it doesn't look as bad. Sure, when, sure. When he gets his eventual... Oh my god, that's disgraceful, man. Like, yeah. I, I, I guess... Me saying earlier I didn't think he'd had the most woeful game it was clearly just that I hadn't noticed him, you know, like, which is probably yeah, oh. what he's trying to do. That's probably what happened in 2011, you know, Pe- people just didn't notice how shit he was. Uh, but my God, that that's disgraceful that he would do so, that in the semi-final. There's a moment, and maybe we should leave this for later, but I'm going to do it now. There's actually, there's, there's, there's a few I'm thinking moments. Should we talk about them now or should we save them for later? Um, let it, Go on okay, then. I'll, Okay, there's one moment that I think is it's the Anthony Fienga like Mona Lisa. You know, okay. it's like his it's hanging in the Louvre somewhere. So this clip, in case because uh, we've kind of gone on this Anthony tirade mm. as though uh, everybody's listened to every episode, which some people have, and that's great. Mm. But for anybody who hasn't, in the first game. Um, there was a point where Quade Cooper made a really nice break and then he just ran out of nowhere and speared Sergio Parise off the ball uh, to ruin the attack. Amfinger did. Yeah, 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 Amfinger did. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, got done for crossing, right? Yes. Against Ireland, he threw a pass into touch in in his own 22 that was also forward. There was definitely Mm -hmm. something else he did in the Ireland game that was really, really dumb. I can't remember. In the USA game, uh, you gave him dick of the day for scoring two tries that he shouldn't have scored. 
Yeah, well, okay, so he had like a four-man overlap and then one guy in front of him. And instead he runs into that guy and knocks himself out doing it. Yeah, oh yeah. And and like, he, up, he takes like, the worst over, possible option. Yeah. Yeah. And he somehow, yes, he scores a try, but it was a terrible thing to do. And basically, yeah, like it's been a incredible discovery to realise that he is shite. Yes. <laughs> um, having, as I said, raved him about the time. And he has become, alongside Argentina's Martin Rodriguez, one of the two real shining lights of the Dick yeah. of the Day segment of this yeah, podcast. for sure. So, uh, there's a moment in the second half, right, where Anthony Fayinga, okay, off first phase, misses the tackle. The All Blacks, kind of, he spirals off, someone else made the tackle, All Blacks make a net gain, right? He then gets back up, sprints back into life, fair play to him, you know, trying to make amends. Yeah. He then misses a second tackle, <laughs> right? Um, and the All Blacks make a breakdown. I, like the way, I know like, where the guy this is going. To... <laughs> um, he then gets back into line. There's enough like twenty odd seconds pass. Like, the All Blacks go through a few phases, and eventually they run at him. They he he misses his third tackle in the movement, and you're going fair play. This is very impressive. And just when you think it can't get any worse, right? Yeah. The All Blacks play one more phase, then they knock the ball on. The ball is picked up by one of the Australians, who offloads to Anthony Fayenga who then, as he's going to ground, drops the ball forwards. <laughs> what a punishment. So in 45 seconds, Anthony Fayenga misses three tackles and makes a knock-on, right? For context, Justin Tiprick missed three tackles and made no knock-ons in the entire Six Nations put together. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> That's incredible. So, uh, and he played pretty much the 80 minutes of all five games, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. do the math, lads. <laughs> It's just an incredible moment of Dick of the Dayness. That's a hell of a stat. Uh, I love that. Like, how how has he managed to do this every every game? I mean, we'll we'll find out later on whether or not he gets your, your Dick of the Day. But mm. p- people uh, who are looking at this on Paddy Power, I think uh, now's the time to uh, place your bets on whether. <laughs> We've or not... mentioned how how shitting the bed Quay Cooper was. Do- how much shitting, sure how the bed was shat by Mister Cooper. Yeah. So, yeah, let, we'll keep talking about the All Blacks. Uh, and, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I feel a lot of this will end up big, us talking about the All Blacks, because this is quite one-sided, this game. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, I've got this shot down that like there are, I think, 35 seconds in which I considered that the All Blacks might not win this game. Yeah. You know, obviously, I knew the outcome, and I knew the sure, All Blacks sure. go on to win the World Cup, but there's about 35 seconds in which you think that might not be on the cards during yeah. this entire 80 minutes. Yeah. So right from the off, literally from the kickoff, things go badly. The yeah. All Blacks then pile more and more and more and more and They're more. They're eight nil up, ten minutes away. In. Yeah, and as I said, they missed by that point two shots a goal. Yeah, and then they miss another. And also afterwards, let's address this. Puruipu misses two very easy shots at goal. He he misses two very and easy one shots slightly goal. more difficult. One of the touchline, which yeah, is fine. You know, whatever. kick a goal. But, but, yeah. And, and what my favourite thing is, there's the one where he's just next to the post, but he's about 10, 15 metres out. Mm. And he kicks the ball and he hits the left-hand touch line. No, the, the left-hand uh, post. <laughs> and then he chases after the kick itself as it's deflecting and bats it back. So, yeah. like, he didn't even have time to, like, pick up his kicking tee or anything. He just he just straight away... What happens to the tee? I didn't notice that. I didn't stop to think Honestly, about I, it. I, I tried watching this back and I couldn't find what happened. I couldn't find anyone picking it up or anything. Does someone just eat it? Does it just dissolve into the ground? Wait a second. Was he using like a biodegradable tea? I've just, I've just thought. Dimitri Ashvili. Dimitri Ashvili got it. Dimitri Ashvili's there. Either that or he's found something ratter. Either way, he's some French prick. (laughs) He's already got into the World Cup final. 
Yashvili's hanging around the stadium early yeah. and wants to piss off Weeping. Some French bastard is hanging around on that pitch. And I think, right, what happened is Dimitri Yashvili wore an all-black shirt, uh, maybe like the, the chain shirt or whatever, put on a, a funny hat or a wig or a mask. Mm. You know you know one of those things, where the, those masks or the thing where it's the uh, the funny nose and the moustache? He was, he yeah, was wearing yeah. that and then just being like, oh yeah, I'm, you know. Uh, let's say it's Adam Thompson, right? Sure. So he's pretending to be Adam Thompson, bringing on the water, and then just going, oh, yeah, yeah, here's, here's, here's your kicking tee uh, in his best English. Secretly actually modifying the kicking tee as well, so uh, he's mm. going to miss more kicks than keeping hold of it, so uh, he can uh, not kick in the final. I love the idea that Dimitri Ashvili has in order to impersonate Adam Thompson. Uh, he obviously is speaking in a second language, can't do the accent at all, so he's just had to look up Adam Thompson on Wikipedia. And it's just kind of going like, oh, uh, hello, uh, I love being born on the 23rd of March, 1982. Uh, how do you do, fellow Kiwis? Do you think he's found that the celebration he does, the uh, the John Cena the celebration? John Cena thing, uh, yeah. Do you think he's found that on YouTube? And just he just like... keeps doing that all the time. He's just doing that as he takes the tea off. Envisaging Dimitri Ashvili doing that celebration makes me physically uncomfortable. Yeah, I also like the fact that he's on... You know those little, like, buckets you turn upside down in school to make you taller? Those like, little stilt things. I didn't need to, mate. I'm six up. foot two. I don't need to do that. That is not true. I am. And <laughs> you do that. Also, why would you then not do it to be six foot... It's the perfect eight. height, six foot two. Oh, okay, I, sorry, I don't want to be any that. taller. Well, Dimitri Ashvili would have to say, I am Lee's six foot five, and the 17 stone five, and I went to Christchurch Boys School. Yeah, he's on stilts. He's doing all of that in order to try and steal the tea. Yeah. I realise that's a callback to very early on in the podcast, about a year ago. Yeah. Oh, Christ. Where there's an infamous story where Freddie Burns' first game for Gloucester uh, as a young sort of 19, 20-year-old was against Biarritz. And during the warm-up, Dimitri Ashvili stole his tea and kicked off over the rest of the game. And he (laughs) slotted a touchline conversion with Freddie Burns' tea. uh, Yeah. Which is like the, the kick in the nuts. So, that all takes place. The All Blacks are completely dominant. Yes. They should be, frankly, they should be about 20 points ahead after 20 minutes. They're only 8-0 up. Yeah. Because Weepoo's missing goals and they don't quite finish a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think they mind that, you know. I think they're, they're no, very sure. comfortable with the position they're in. Yeah, they look comfortable enough. Then, from the kickoff and the penalty, uh, they kick long and the All Blacks shank the kick slightly, yes. and it lands in the hands of James O'Connor, who looks a bit like Justin Bieber. Yeah, so James O'Connor catches the ball, runs sideways, who looks, a bit, a, bit like looks a bit like Justin Bieber, and then passes to Digby Iwani, mm. who goes straight who through. explodes yeah. through, a hell of a and break. inches away from the try. Like, he is carrying three people on his back the last 15 metres towards the try line. Jerome Kano, man. Jerome Jer- mm. Kano, like, as he's about to cross the try line, just picks him up and drags him back an extra four metres. And that makes the attack so much harder for the Wallabies because they've got to then adjust their clear out, adjust their depth onto the ball. Mm. And they have to then rethink their attack a little bit just by a couple of seconds, you know, by a, a yeah. couple of a couple of movements of the feet. But it's a huge interve- in- intervention by yeah, Kano. Yeah. But Ioani is, and also he's being referred to as uh, Digby Ioani oh, at this course. point as well. But Digby Ioani is... As a probably one of those five players on his back coming in away from scoring a try. Yeah. Which would make things 7-8, which is a very, very different game. He does so and much as only... close as he does. Like, his leg drive yeah, is Oh, insane. it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He's, he's it's one of those players effort. that's just like, he's clear enough, just clearly so hard to tackle. Yeah, you can tell. 
Uh, and he's also the one player throughout this game that never looks deterred. You know, yeah. there's a few of the Wallabies in the last 20 minutes look like they've been battered and they look yeah. knackered. And after last week being so physically draining, you know, the number of tackles he had to make in the previous in the quarterfinal, he's the one player the whole way is... Not that the others weren't giving it their all, but he's the one player that doesn't look like it's sure. got at all. Yeah, because I was, I was thinking about this, and we'll get on to Man of the Match later on, but I was trying to mm. think of, like, who I thought the Wallabies' best player was. And I was just kind of thinking, like, there wasn't really a player who did, who, like... Managed to succumb to the All Blacks pressure. I, but, I thought Genia played very well as well. Yeah, I think he did, but he did have a couple of moments of oh sure, like yeah. of you know uh, sucking it up a little bit. But I do think Digby Iwani made a couple of really really nice breaks when he had no right to. Mm, absolutely, I thought he was very very good. So yeah, so he gets right up to the try line. Australia do recycle. Genia mm. is kind of left in a few minds because all as you say, all his options have to kind of re-change their depth, re-change the lines yeah. they're running. They're not quite set up properly. Uh, but eventually they do work it out to Radiki Samo on the wing. Yes. And he frees an arm. Adam Ashley Cooper comes back inside and picks a line mm. that he would have scored off, but the offload is too low. It's around his ankles. Yeah. And they do, you know, keep hold of the ball. But if he'd taken that pass, that pass had gone to hand, Ashley Cooper scores. The Wallabies Not many other two... players would, but Ashley Cooper would. Ashley Cooper would have finished that. Yeah. Yeah. He's an unbelievable... He's one of the best finishers yeah. we've seen. If the pass was last. not only stuck, but was fast as well. Yeah, like, yeah, if he was, threw it was. at him, you know, mm. and it, it was a was. very problem. It came out his hands yeah, too early. It was a very ambitious offload uh, from Samo, mm. but that's the thing. It's one of those you don't want to hang it. You want to, you want to tr- like trust that your guy can catch the ball. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like the the exact opposite of the pass uh, Emily Scarrett threw for Rona Lloyd. In yeah, the, sure. Uh, Premier Fifteen, yeah, weekend, yeah. which I realize not many people saw, but like it's a you know it's a counterpoint. So yeah, so you've got that. And that doesn't quite come off. The Wallabies do manage to recycle the ball. Yeah. But they're still putting a lot of pressure on. They still feel like they're on top. And it's such... It sums up who this Australia team and what they were mm. so well. Yeah. Because the All Blacks were in complete control of that game. As you said, it was probably the best 15 minutes we've seen from any team this World yeah. Cup. And they were two half inches, you know, two balls being half an inch further away one off the ground, one towards down towards the ground, away from it only being a one-point game. Yeah. You know, just because their backs were so talented and yeah. so good and could make something out of nothing. Yeah. But in the end, whilst they're on top, Richie McCaw comes in, and we said it earlier, David Pocock doesn't give away professional foul. This is 100% deliberate, yeah. right? He comes over the ball and he just hangs onto it, hangs onto it, knowing he's completely illegal. And because it's just made the post... The Wallabies obviously kick it because it's World yeah they don't mind they'll yeah. go they'll go so, to eight three and the All Blacks are thinking like eight eight three feels like that's fine. The moment that James Hall points the post and signals they're going to go for goal was the end of the thirty five seconds that I thought Australia might win this game. I see, yeah, because up until then you thought if they get back to eight seven after the All Blacks being so dominant, mm. that changed the mindset of both teams completely. You know, I, like they can do everything and will still roughly be in the game. I don't think it was an incorrect instead. decision for James Hall. No, I don't. I don't. But you're right that there's something of... It's more uh, the fact that straight from there, if, they didn't create an opportunity to get another three-pointer. Yeah, exactly. If they'd scored a try there, that turns the game. That makes the All Blacks incredibly, incredibly worried. Yeah. And this is an All Blacks team whose heads you could get into. The thing is, the Wallabies never really looked like scoring a try, you know. They, no, they the broke the line thing, quite a lot of times, but the All Blacks was, defense was so, so solid. And just they assured. made two chances, and they were inside twenty seconds of each other. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, and they get onto the try line again in about 77 minutes. Yeah. And that's it. You know, like they, they have of... a couple of times they get to the 22 and they have a couple yeah, of decent the... solid attacks. But the All Blacks defense just looks so organized. Mm. And again, like, there's always like, there's one point where the Wallabies have a great attack and then Marlon wins a turnover. Uh, and mm. it's just like, great, that guy can do it as well, you know, because like McCaw, yeah. Reed, and Kano are working their socks off. And like, in all of the big games in this World Cup, they've always come up with whenever the opposition has a decent attack, one of those three will pill for the ball. Absolutely. And then when none of them are around and Marnonu's doing it, you feel like you can't win, can you? No, exactly. And, you know, I've got just so many notes just saying this is a phenomenal New Zealand are ruthless. That yeah. first half, they are completely on top. They are so good. There's, there's a minute in which Australia won the 22. Otherwise, 39 of them, they look completely dominant. And it's like... I had a conversation with friend of the pod, Rihanna Goff-Jones, yeah. after she listened to the last episode, where she was very adamant that Wales would have won that World Cup. And we had the conversation that lasted like an hour. It didn't need to. And we both got just needlessly like... We got to the point where like, neither of us are ever going to talk the other one round. Sure. So why are we still having this yeah. conversation? But watching the All Blacks... Yeah, Rihanna. Going, like, they, the All Blacks would have would have played like that against Wales, I feel, in a final. Yeah. They wouldn't have had the kind of like panic that they did against France after 2007, after 2010, sure. when they just lost them. And they would have torn Wales apart there. They would have Wales would have been twenty points behind. The thing is, Wales would have really, really panicked. I've there. looked back on the All Blacks winning this World Cup in a way that's like mm. it's not like sour, but it's just kind of like it doesn't feel like it has the same glisten that the twenty fifteen one did because no. like it feels like they just kind of won this World Cup by default, you know. And that's like the way that I've kind of looked back on it in the last ten years. But watching this game back felt like oh no, they deserve they deserve to go all the way here, like. Yeah, there's been a couple of times where they've they've slightly faltered, you know, like the Argentina game, they had a bit of a scare, but like I suppose they they battered France, you know, but it's... and they have been very dominant in in all the games uh, that they've played. But, but it's a it's a bit like them against Ireland in the quarterfinal in 2019. Yeah, where because they shat the bed the following week, people forget they were genuinely incredible in that game. Yeah. They, it was one of the best performances anyone put in the championship in that whole. People World Cup. had sort of forgotten that the All Blacks were such a strong contender in a way, yeah. and they pulled out that game against Ireland, and it's, it, they suddenly were straight back in contention. Mm. They, I mean, they were, I, I guess they were favourites to beat England, weren't they? But yeah, uh, obviously Eddie Jones outsmarted them a little bit. But no, you're right, it's a very, very similar thing to that. And, and it's interesting. <clears throat> Sorry, go on. I, I mean, my, my context on this may be morphed again when we watch the final in a couple mm. of weeks, but I've I've often looked back on that final and thought, and uh, we'll get onto this, and, and wondered whether the All Blacks were lucky or they did a couple of things well, which meant they, they mm. won the final, you know, and that maybe could have gone the other way and they could have lost the thing, but... Looking back at this game, this feels like we're watching a world champion side. Absolutely. But I was also reminded, and it's funny we mention 2019, because I was also very much reminded of England in the 2019 semi-final. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the very similar score lines. That one was 19-7. This one is 26. Yeah. So just one point in either direction. Yeah. That's the difference. And just in that the team that won felt so much more dominant than the show on the scoreboard. Yeah. But that's all you need in a World Cup match. You know, World Cup knockout game. Yeah. Where you just need to be eight points up at any given time, really, yeah. in order to win it. Well, you know, you need to be one point up at any given time. I was going to say, you know what I mean. a two-score game at this point is in- is pretty insane, you know? Yeah. Winning a World Cup knockout match by more than seven points is, it's not yes. unheard of, but it's, it's not and common. I think if both, England in 2019 and New Zealand in 2011 here 
had played to the exact level they did in comparison to where the opposition were playing, mm-hmm. the level they were playing yeah. at, in a autumn international or something, sure. they would have won by bigger scoreline. Yeah. Um, but there's something about a World Cup quarterfinal. Uh, hey, both teams bring it up. You know? yeah. Both teams bring their level up a bit further still. But also, you've just got the fact that your approach are differently, your mind's in a different place, you're thinking about the following week as well, as well as yeah. the previous weeks. So actually just being dominant, actually just scraping through, and the feeling on the pitch, and it's something Sam Warburton talked about in the final uh, during commentary mm-hmm. for the European Cup final at the weekend, is just as important, you know, just like the feeling that we are in control. Yeah. And the All Blacks were in control for 79 minutes. And the All Blacks have that, you know. As I said, like you mm. alluded earlier to the fact that like Monono would very comfortably slide in a kick as soon as they lose one percentage of their momentum, yeah. you know. And and they have that, you know. And like th- their forwards were, were brilliant. There was a few times like when they'd knock the ball on and win a scrum on the Australian, not a penalty on the Australian scrum. Yeah. It didn't matter to them, like that Weeper was missing these kicks or that yeah, like yeah. there's one where he put it out on the full. And they didn't look at remotely phased because they knew that they'd get another chance to redeem that. Yeah, yeah. And there's something about them missing a kick would mean a dropout that they would then just put more pressure on from. Yeah. As you said, just there was no lead above it at all. Yeah. And it almost becomes quite a samey game to talk about. You know, I'm running out of points to talk about because it was all the All Blacks just piling this relentless pressure. I don't want to sound like a broken record because it's yeah, just... because the, it's the same story all day. I mean... There's a point where Cruden sends this really smart kick through and sends James O'Connor into touch in his own 22. Yeah. Which felt so emblematic of that All Blacks first half. There's also, Sokopi Kepu the... goes off for James Slipper early on. Is that yes. an enforced substitution or is that tactical? So, uh, he'd taken a blow to the face about five minutes earlier and he was down the doctor looking at his eye. Right. But I wasn't sure if that was because he got mashed in the scrum. He'd been mashed in two scrums in a row. Or it was his eye and he couldn't see what good. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, yeah. You couldn't, for example, sit down and watch the hit film The Crudes, A New Age. Yeah, yeah, which I believe he was actually planning to do at half-time. Yeah, yeah, he was intending to travel. And then, basically, because um, HIAs weren't a thing at this point, so Mm. um, instead of giving the player the head injury assessment, they would make them watch The Crudes, uh, A New Age, instead, uh, which I know wasn't out for another nine years at this point, but they had, like, early access to it via James Ryan from his All Blacks days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's amazing how the time-space continuum doesn't apply to anyone called James Ryan. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty mad. Isn't it? And well, no, it was made a long time in advance and only released last year, or not even yet because of the bloody pandemic. Course, yeah, bloody yeah. COVID coming over here, postponing our Crudes and New Age movies. It's really the one thing we are most upset about yeah. regarding the whole thing. That's, um, like, also... COVID was worse it until a New Age right? of but right, the Crudes yeah. was uh, delayed. Until we, we lost that. Yeah. We lost that. It also applies to people called Ryan James as well, I want to make that. Oh, okay. Um, so the rugby league player, Ryan James, right. is fine. Okay. Because uh, he is literally just James Ryan walking backwards. Oh, uh, okay. Is that his full name? Ryan James walking backwards. Yeah. No, he's... he's no, Yeah, no, he is He is called Ryan James, but all he is is James Ryan walking backwards. He's him from Parallel Universe. We just walk oh, backwards. Oh, okay. okay. Like Tenet. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. 
absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And so rugby happened. No, the, yeah, the one of a sort of Australia attack is like two minutes to go and it all ends because they chuck it wide. They've got a tiny, tiny overlap. Adam actually could before over and Richard McCall gets yeah. over it and turns it yeah. over. And that is one of, again, the three moments you mentioned one of them that feel emblematic. Yeah. Uh, the other one, so the All Blacks spread it wide, right? They get a bit of a burst down the short side. David Pocock gets in there, turns it over, chucks the ball up to Organia, who is then, this is on the 10 metre line. He then gets smashed so hard by Richie McCaw, he ends up back inside his own 22 before he goes to yeah. ground. Yeah, that was like, he he properly saw Stephen Ferris picking up Organia and just thought, fancy yeah. a bit of that. Exactly, it was like, hold my beer. Yeah. Wait, no, hold my Genia. Yeah, yeah. There's um three other great moments in the first half. So one is... Aaron Cruden nails a drop goal. Yes. Yeah, there's two drop goals in this game. Yeah. Both by unlikely sources. Yeah. Like, Aaron Cruden's one's beautiful as well. Like, yeah, he strikes really it taken. really well. Like, it's almost as satisfying as the Mono Stain one from the other week. Mm. But it sends the All Black 11 3 up. And again, it's one of those ruthless things. I, I, I hate how much we're repeating ourselves here. But it, it's really well built. Yeah. And that's, I mean, famously, the All Blacks didn't know how to set a drop goal in 2007, right? When they were. Yeah losing to France and they didn't have a draw for you it. can tell that those mm. go like the, the ghosts of World Cup past were still haunting them a little bit and and there, there were demons surrounding you know drop goals in World Cup knockout matches and that was so spot on everybody knew their role yeah. and Aaron Cruden nailed the kick to back it up there was also later on in the second half Israel Dag attempt to drop goal and it goes about 20 meters to the right hand side of the posts he just scoops it in the air. Yeah. It's kind of hysterical. Yeah. It's a... <laughs> but it's a... Because it's what Dag was doing everything else so well, he went, well, I might as well be the guy in the pocket. Sure, you know, sure. You know, I might as well It did it. slightly feel like he was taking the piss out of Aaron Cruden and just being like, oh yeah, I'm the drop kicker now. Yeah. But he kind of... He kind of just hits it. It's the kind of... We've all done it when we're trying a drop goal. If you scoop it too high, yeah, it doesn't yeah. go far enough. Yeah. And it then ends up going wide as well. Yeah. No, absolutely. The second cool thing from the second half, this feels like a nice little feature. Uh, the, the, the second cool thing from the first half is mm. probably the most famous thing that happens in this game, which is Richard Kahui cutting Quade Cooper in half. Yes. That, uh, I think it's Whippu, isn't it? Puts a, a really good kick up mm. right next to the touchline that Quade Cooper catches. And basically, as soon as he catches it, the whole way, Richard Kahui's running after him and shouting at him to try and put him off. Yeah. And then eventually Cooper catches the ball and Kahui nails him into touch like it is borderline murder what happens there nick mullins was directly just before that because it was the whole narrative around this game talking about how quade cooper was hated in new zealand and yeah probably sure. number one and so on uh and then the moment kahui nails him his commentary the line he says is there were three million people in that tackle which is a really <laughs> that's a ineffective great use of bodies no, really no, it's, like it's a great line but you feel like spread some out. Yeah, it's so true. Use actually. a defensive line. You're you know? like, at least put a couple of minutes to break down after. Yeah, this, you know, like, like you could you could probably some into the backfield. I was going to say you could probably build up about a three three hundred thousand person backfield there. So uh, you got a pretty heavy. <laughs> There's absolutely line. no space whatsoever. I think <laughs> just take them to the hurt arena. Yeah, exactly. Here's here's an idea. Uh, mm. We should set up a game of rugby where 
the pitch is big enough to accommodate three million people mm. to the same like proportions as thirty uh, cover a fifteen. Like, we can have a lot of referees as well. Bear in mind, yeah, yeah. you know they can yeah. uh, they can partake as well. I mean, obviously, the opposition applies any sort of line speed. We're fucked. But <laughs> that's the problem, isn't it? You just end up with everyone standing in each other's way, yeah. like Anthony Fienko yeah. bowling into them. This is why we have no, small what we should games. do, right? Is you know, Lalo, not not the Georgian word for try, and not oh, the Georgian, the Georgian word for rugby, and not for the Georgian word for rugby, but the Georgian game that was played prior to rugby. Oh yeah, prior yeah to they yeah. took on rugby. Yeah. yeah, yeah, where the rules were basically. One, they would start with a ball in one village, you know, like the middle of these two villages. Oh, yeah. And this. they then, all of the men in the village would, and they line it up as like one day, whenever. All the men in the village would then have to try and get that ball into the other, like the centre of the other village, into like a designated point. And like, you could do absolutely anything to anyone. And like every year, at least one person died playing Lalo. <laughs> what we should do is basically that, but on the pitch. So like, yeah. say, when... When Northampton play, I don't know, Leicester, like in a couple of weeks in the Premiership, right? We should have the entire pop, like every man, and then the Premier 15, you know, can be the opposite. Every woman, you know, every man in Leicester should play against every woman in Northampton. We should squeeze them all onto a rugby pitch, yeah. but get them to play by modern rules otherwise. Yeah. Other than the fact that we have the population of a few thousand. Sure. So I don't know, what, what's the population of Northampton? Northampton got a massive size disadvantage there. Actually. I reckon you know, numbers it's down at already. least 23, because typically. That's the amount they play on a weekend. Okay, so Northampton has a population of 215,000, right? Okay. So they'll have about half of that. Yeah. So they'll have about 107,000, let's say. Sure. People, whereas Leicester has a population of about 357,000. Okay, okay. Uh, so they have about twice the number to begin with. Yeah. But thankfully, it's Leicester, and they have a history of ill discipline. So hopefully, there'll be a few men down, and probably. I mean, Thomas Lavanini is going to be there, so they'll, exactly. they'll be down to you they'll... know two hundred ninety nine thousand uh, <laughs> like, in a minute. No, knowing the way Leicester Tigers' discipline has been in the last five years, they're going to be down to thirteen by the end. Of the yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, that's it confirmed. So Pod Social, we're going to play a game of Layla yeah. together. Uh, everyone's invited. Um, I don't know where it is. TBA, um, Northampton, just middle of Northampton. Sure. It's Franklin's Gardens. Yeah. Pile them all in. The other cool thing from this half before the Craig Cooper drop goal uh, is that uh, Richie McCaw gets the flying turnover where... Yes. He, so Australia, I think the All Blacks knock the ball on, don't they? And Australia have the ball and they're sort of milling around, you know, on the 10 metre line. And then at hmm. one point, somebody turns away with the ball and Richie McCaw literally jumps on their back and somehow manages to rip the ball away from them. And I physically can't figure out how that's possible. It's one of the famous Richie McCaw moments. Yeah, you know, there's that. There's a try scoring against South Africa. There's just there's a handful of them that really stand out as like that is the That's moment that Richie McCaw. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And McCaw got a few like properly insane turnovers in this game. Yeah, uh, especially the second half. Again, second half. Like yeah. Last week he built into it. Yeah, second half he's. I think he was even good. better than he was in, uh, last week in this game. I think that might. This be. is. I don't know. I think it's very close. I yeah. think the previous game is amongst the best Richie McCaw played. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of forgotten about because because it was the quarterfinal in yeah. the lead up. But the rest of the team was shit in the bed in the previous week, and Richie McCall went no. Yeah, yeah. Bear in mind as well. Want to mention it again, right? He is doing this all with a broken foot. Oh, of course, yeah. I forgot about that. He's doing all of this with a broken foot. Christ. He broke his foot in the previous game, and, and he came off. It. He found out the following day, and they kept it quiet. Yeah. Uh, the other story actually worth mentioning. I don't know if you you heard this about Piriwipu. No. 
So Piri who came off the pitch against Argentina, he was given an official man of the match, did his man of the match interview, came into the, the shed, as they call them in New Zealand, and was told that his grandfather had died that morning. No. So his grandfather died about an hour before oh the game. Oh my god. That must so be so hard to like pick yourself up yeah. and try and just focus on winning the World Cup at that point. So he then said afterwards, you know, he dedicated that game to the, his granddad yeah. because he went out to play this game against Australia for him. Wow. So yeah. I mean, fair play to him, pulling it out of the bag. He was... Yeah, he was released from a day's training to yeah. the funeral in the okay, week. Yeah, Christ, that's difficult, isn't it? It's a good thing yeah. he was still in New Zealand because if yeah, he was yeah. away from home and couldn't see his family, that would have been very difficult for him. I mean, I imagine it was anyway. But yeah, yes. that's awful. Yeah. But no, so, yeah, it's, it, you know, it kind of puts the fact that obviously he misses a few shots of goal, but he plays very, very well. Yeah, he does. Yeah, between, he managed you know, the game well. The best game of the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think it kind of puts that in perspective a bit yeah. of how well he played. No, for sure, for sure. Uh, as I say, like, he has a couple of wobbly moments, but he does manage the game very well. And like He is, generally speaking, on the same page as the likes of Nonu and Smith uh, and sort of mm. the big game managers in the backs. Yeah. So, no, yeah, he, is, he does play a big part in the All Blacks winning this match. Um, yeah. Yeah, Quay Cooper scores a drop goal. Yes. It's, to be honest, like they spend a lot of time in the 22 thinking about it, but they don't actually yeah. set it up very well. Quay Cooper's in the pocket for about a solid minute and a half before they kick yeah, the drop okay. goal. Yeah, so okay. When they actually send it back to him, he's got no. There's no blockers, so the All Blacks mm. get a really good opportunity to charge. Well, there were blockers, but Wilgeny then passes to them, uh, and they take it in, and then he really yeah. quickly recycles it to Quay Cooper. And See, I suppose I, the speed on the pass is probably why Quay Cooper still gets it. it over. That was what I. That's what I thought when. Because I thought he was going to go face early, and he did. Yeah. He then instead plays an incredibly quick face, so that the people who can charge it down aren't in the face, and not able to run up because he just made the tackle. Yeah. And then plays. It's on, still an know, unusual thing, face. though. Instead of actually yeah, using blockers, yeah, it works. But, you you know, know, and it gives Cooper him a clean enough it, strike and so. enough time. Yeah. Because yeah. anyone trying to make the tackle is coming from further out. Yeah. Um, I think it was a perfectly fine setup, and I think Cooper takes it well. Yeah. And it's a weird moment of composure from the Australia team who don't really have any chances to be that. Sure. Either side. Yeah. Yeah. And he then spent a lot of the second half, the first sort of fifteen minutes of the second. Half, they have a lot of possession, yeah, and they don't do anything with it. And you wonder if they just want to set up and take another drop goal, yeah, because even though at that point they're seventeen six down, yeah, you take another drop goal, you know, you're then starting to say it's almost that statement of we believe in ourselves to score these points, yeah, you know, that like we will find a way, sure. rather than we're going to find tries and hope we can break through you, yeah, absolutely. it's that kind of that that Rob Baxter thing of you know like we are looking to accumulate points and it is an entirely different thing to what the opposition is trying yeah. to do. You know, of like, we just want to accumulate enough points. We don't care how many opposition have scored or when they've scored. Them. Sure, yeah. There's, you're just saying about them being 17-6 down and just doing whatever yeah. they possibly can to get a half break or whatever. There's um, one really funny point. I mean, because there's, there's a couple of points. So there's one passage of play where Genio and Cooper each make a couple of like half breaks and then the momentum mm. is just ruined by Marnonu. Uh, but then there's a point when uh, Pat McCabe thinks he sees a bit of a mismatch he sees Owen Franks in front of him in midfield and thinks right I, I know what to do here like if there's if there's a front row in front of you and you're a centre slash winger you think I'm going to run right but if he doesn't quite get the grasp the concept and he doesn't run for the gap he instead just runs head first into this tight head prop stood in midfield who just <laughs> boulders into him and just puts him on his ass. It's, it's an approach isn't it yeah and he then gets penalised and Weeper kicks the goal it really helps complement the Antfinger midfield, doesn't it? Okay. Yeah. Antics. Yeah. Yeah, there's an, another uh, solid Australian attack then. There's a great bit where they're starting to lose momentum and then suddenly Will Genny does... Like, 
this happened against Italy in the, the Australian first game in the mm. pool stage. When they start to lose momentum, it would then be on Genia to, to snipe and find yeah. some, some gaps around the fringes to get them going forwards again. And typically you think that would be the job of your number eight or something at this at this stage in 2011. But Will Genia did that exceptionally well. And it was often a thing that, obviously when the All Blacks lost momentum, they would slide it into the Australian 22 and they'd just go, right, here we go. When Australia mm. lost momentum, they just kind of said, Will Genia, have you got any ideas? <laughs> There's a lot of that going on, yeah. isn't there? He's the only... So Luke Burgess on the bench is the only new substitution. Yeah. I feel um, sorry again. for Luke Burgess, man. He and was such a I good do. player. He was a really good player, but he was not getting any... Like, he will have far fewer caps than Nick Pibbs. I was going to say, just the fact because... Nick Pibbs got more, more caps than him is criminal. Uh, but but very good player. But Will Genia was on such form at this point. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, he was... You, they couldn't alongside Yawani, Australia's best player. Yeah. No, it wasn't worth bringing him off. Yeah. Uh, and at one point, they cut to him warming up on the bench, and I thought it would be a mad thing to bring yeah. him off. And Genia is still making some very sharp, very inspired, and often quite weird but useful decisions in that last couple of minutes when Australia had the yeah. ball. Uh, and, you know, he makes a little snipe there. And he continues to play very well throughout the entire rugby match. So we approach sort of the last 20 minutes here. And there's mm. another point where the All Blacks have a kick at goal and Whippy takes it from about 40 metres out. And he misses. Mm. But the All Blacks just could not look less arsed about it. Like, no. they just think... Like, they're playing like it's the last five minutes. Uh, for that whole last yeah, 20, yeah. and very comfortably, like, oh yeah, we can we can run the clock down because we're going to win this test match. And there is that yeah. confidence to it. And knowing that Weepu's shaved another minute off the clock with the uh, Australians in their 22, normally you feel like, that's fine, there's another 19 of these minutes, you know, we'll, we'll be okay, mm. we'll get another opportunity. But the All Blacks were just that comfortable in defence. And that was just before Dag took the drop goal as well, so that, yeah. you know, the Wallabies were permanently before playing outside their half. He put the... The, the before he put the ag into DG, nice because nice. it's like he screamed in the middle yeah, of the drop goal, yeah, like DG yeah. drop goal. That's a good one, dag. man. Thank you. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. I like that. It's an original. And ag is the uh, noise he made when he did that passing to touch as well, which was really bad. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it was about time Israel Dag did something really bad in this World Cup. Yeah, I mean he's been like annoyingly good. Hasn't yeah. He? Throughout this entire game, yeah. in particular. I mean, I guess that makes up for that pass that he just automatically, that offload that he automatically just got bang on, <laughs> despite being like. To none. Yeah, figuratively yeah. impossible. Yeah, and then um, basically, Amp Finger goes off, and I thought that was a notable moment. Rob Horn comes on this place. <laughs> I mean, it's a big moment for Australia. You know, you really feel like they should up some momentum here. Yeah. They only can see three points while he's off. I mean. Uh, Which is really quite impressive. Yeah. But they scored none, so clearly they're missing quite a lot. <laughs> they lost the period he was up. They scored the same number of tries. Yeah, that's true. Which he would have got Dick a day for anyway if he had scored yeah. some. So. There's, so the All Blacks are then, again, they look very comfortable going to the last 10 minutes. And they, yeah, they, they just, keep kicking to Quay Cooper as well because they know he's going to try something audacious. And they can trust that and that rolling of the dice isn't going to cost them anything. Quaid still has... He makes a lot of mistakes. He has a lot of passes that don't go to hand. He has a lot of things he tries that don't work. Yeah. He puts like free kicks out in the full, maybe. Yeah. But he still has, I think, free involuntary noise moments. Yeah, yeah. He has a couple you know? of great runs. There's an offload he throws that's incredible. Yes. That somehow like slingshots around his own head. Yeah. There's a few moments of just sheer quake. Yeah. But he has he has they're... a couple of moments of absolute brilliance. There's a long pass that he does uh, inside zone mm. twenty two, which bounces really really nicely. Yeah, but then yeah, the Wallabies yeah. get battered at the breakdown. 
But that's the thing that keeps happening. Of like, whenever Quaid does something that comes off, it then backfires on the moments later. Because of McCall, you know, like nothing ever comes of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty, pretty much, pretty much. Team before I'd put some credit to Mononu and Jerome Kano as yeah. well. But sure, McCall. Yeah. So yeah, so it kind of all builds into those last few minutes where finally the Wallabies have something on the line. Yeah. And you have a moment of suddenly thinking like, oh, if they score here, this is interesting. You know, they're yeah. suddenly within a converted try of of the All Blacks, and they kind of look like they're running out of ideas a bit once they get onto the try line. Yeah. Well, there's that moment where Quade Cooper has a run where he sidesteps... He, you know that thing Quade Cooper does where he sidesteps the same guy like six times by running this really yes. weird jagged line? He kind of does that and then gets slightly scragged and then gets absolutely bodied by his best friend, Sonny Bill Williams. <laughs> and there is no hesitation from Craig Joubert to send him to the bin. So it is... When you see the replay, very reminiscent of the tackle he would later be sent off for yeah. on Anthony Watson yeah. in the Lions series six years later. Yeah. At this point, of course, only one All Black had ever been red carded. Mm. And we'd had a red card the previous day. And I think all referees were very eager to avoid doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, at the time it was a yellow It was really, really funny, to be fair, that, that tackle. Because it just felt like Sonny Bill hadn't... Con- I mean, you shouldn't necessarily consider intent when it goes into tackle, because sure, if, yeah. if you tackle them poorly and you body them with your shoulder, then, you know, it's a red card, you know? Yeah. But I just love the, the, the complete lack of will to wrap his arms from Sonny Bill. Like, yeah, he, he very actively goes to take him out with his shoulder, and let's say, this is his best friend. He tucks his like, arm in. They he both, tucks his arm on Twitter, would regularly talk about the fact they're best friends at this point. <laughs> to be fair, that happens to me quite a lot. What, you, what having best friends? I just like my my best friend regularly like just shoulders me in the face. Do you have friends? I've got one. Oh, who, who's who's Sonny Bill Willis? It's Owen Farrell. Ah, oh, oh, okay, yeah. He just shoulders yeah. me in the face. That's good banter, actually. I think that what you should do is you should create um a, a rugby like a Facebook page about rugby. Yeah. Uh, that just always shares memes about how Owen Farrell doesn't use his arms. Owen Farrell doesn't use his arms. Yeah. Um, how about oh, I've got another one right? Another joke. Um, Richie McCall. Yeah. He's offside. Oh, that's a good one. He's a cheat, and he? he gives away gives away that's penalties. A good one. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Oh, I want to. I want to. I want to think of one more. Um, oh, Andy Goode. He's the best mm. fly off. Legend. Legend. Yeah. Australians can't scrummage. No, they're also all criminals. You know Wales. Yeah. Didn't deserve to win Six Nations. Yeah, and also all the players are English. That's a good one. All the all the players are English, and they didn't deserve to win Six Nations unless they're playing for England, in which case they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just didn't think they were very good, and they cheated in every single game. Yeah, uh, and I hate them. Yeah. Um, are we more or less finished with the game? I think so. Um, yeah, let's move on to Dick of the Day. Let's move on to Dick of the Day. Sure. Right. The, uh, because the All Blacks won twenty points to six. Yes. Uh, uh, I mean, there's. Yeah, we'll just wrap that up. There's a very natural leading from what we were just talking about because one of the Dick of the Day contenders has to be. Craig Joubert, the referee. Right, yes. I was going to bring this up. Go on. Do you want to... Do you want, no, you do it. You okay, do it. so uh, it's it's very clearly a yellow card for Sonny Bill Williams uh, for charging into mm. uh, uh, Quade Cooper with his shoulder. You know, that's fair enough. It's very clearly a yellow card. Or is it? Because there's nothing in Craig Joubert's hand because he pulls the yellow card out nope. of his pocket and he drops it. Yeah, he drops it as he's trying to raise the yellow and, card. And like, he tries to style it out by, by then like turning the, the arm he has in the air to like point him to go off the pitch and then he kind of realises he can't do this so he's just like right okay everyone's spotted the cameras are on me I've dropped a yellow card and he bends down to pick it up and he can't like it's it's that slippery that he keeps like dropping it on the floor and he has like two or three attempts to, before he actually successfully regathers but, it 
So when he styled it out, I had a moment of thinking, is he now man of the match? <laughs> because he's, he managed to make that look quite good. Like, he managed to make like, it look like that natural. was what he was trying yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he fumbles the card on the floor and you think, no, no, definitely Dick of the Day material instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it? He knocks it on, on the floor. Yeah. Is that who you're going for? Or uh, No, that is a contender. That's a strong contender. Another contender. I don't know if you noticed Steve Hansen in this coaching box. Uh, once or twice. They cut up a couple of times, and it, I noticed this twice during the game. Uh, and I've never noticed this before, but Steve Hansen is really shit at clapping. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a few times where, you know, like, it'll cut to him after the kick conversion or something, or something goes happened. Sure. And he sort of, like, it, I'm going to have to do it on the camera, but I'll try and describe it. So he has one hand as you normally would to clap, right? Like open palm yeah. facing it. And the other one is turned the other way around. Yeah. Right? So he's kind of talking like one hand is palm first. The other is knuckles first. Okay. And he kind of bats them together like that. Okay. And he does it if only, you know, like in a more natural kind of way. Yeah, just like yeah, that. yeah. Okay. But like there's nothing stopping him just putting his hands together and clapping. Yeah. He does it like that instead. And he did it twice. So it's clearly just how Steve Hansen claps. Evidently. That's that's a bizarre thing. Is So who... Are there any other nominations you've got? Well, I mean, Quade Cooper has a complete breakdown, so he's got to be in contention. Yeah. But but I can't see someone miss three tackles and knock the ball on in the space of a minute. And also, there's a point where Anthony Finger comes in at scrum half, right? And he can't pass. He has to turn his entire body to try and spin it the other no. way. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So, for that, as per tradition, my dick of the day is the one and only Anthony Finger. Well done, Anthony Finger. So your Dick of the Day nominations are pretty much identical to mine. So I had Craig Joubert written down. I had to, I mean, you just can't forgive Craig Cooper for kicking the ball out on the fall on the first kick of the game, can you? But, when the entire build-up's been about you. Yeah, playing against New Zealand where he's hated and where he was born. And uh, yeah, everything, everything stacked against him. And then he does that. Like, he's kind of unforgivable. But I think you've actually persuaded me on Antfinger. I think really? I think my dick of the day is Anthony Fianga. Uh, I just oh. I just think it's a standing item at this point, and I I, I I I don't know what the standings are between him and Martin Rodriguez, and I don't want you to tell me yet because okay. we will after we've done an episode on the final, we're going to do an episode where we're going to go over all of these things and look yes. at the stats and so on. So I'd I'd I... like to wait for that, but I I don't know if Antfinger is going to take the lead from Rodriguez. That's quite a, an exciting thought. I will say to you. Those are number one and two. Yeah, 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 yeah. I figured. Like, Contopomi's yeah, yeah, yeah. been a bit of a dick, but not that bad. There's, there are some... The third place is tied again between, I think, three or four players. Okay, okay. And I have also put together a dick of the name man of the match team from the most nominations so far. Okay, still yeah. changed. We've got a couple of games to go. Yeah. And a few nominations henceforth to come in. Okay. So that's all to come. But we're both going for Antfinger here. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you've persuaded okay. me on on okay. Antfinger. Uh, man of the match time. So, I mean, Marnonu is once again incredible. He's so He's good, incredibly, isn't he? Incredibly, incredibly good. Israel Dag is phenomenal. Yeah, I think Israel Dag has good as his best game in the tournament. Yeah, he's very good. But weirdly, like the the drop goal and the pass into touch kind of become blots on the copybook. Yeah, I get that. And Margins so are tight kind of like, in a semi-final. Yeah, exactly. Know. It was so tight that it was kind of him, Nonu, Kaino, who I thought was brilliant again. Yeah. I, remember at the t- I remember watching this game at the time when I was in when I was watching it in 2011 and thinking Kaino was man of the match and thinking right, Kaino was the yeah. best player here. But I am once again going to go for Richie McCall, okay. man of the match, yeah. who I just thought was just the... the 
every time they need him and even when they don't he's there yeah. you know like every impact he made was so so decisive yeah the 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 game good as swings on him just doing things sure yeah again that the summed up by that tackle on Genia and the turnover on Adamashi Cooper and with two minutes to go. Yeah, like I just thought he was he was absolutely unreal, brilliant. Yeah. I think he made like eighteen tackles or something. Hold on a Um I did have it in front of me. I now have it in front of me once again. Yeah, he made seventeen tackles. Right. Wow. Uh, the most by any player. You know, yeah. the next best was Pocock on twelve. Wow. You know, just that's, as that's good as you can get. Great, so yeah. once again, Richard McCaw uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, really. I'm aware of his work. You know, I'm a when I'm starting my Facebook page, you know, I'm a proper rugby, you know, like a real rugby. Oh fan. yeah, you know, like you acknowledge like, that forwards uh, like do the hard work. work you yeah, know? like yeah. a lot of people think someone like Quade Cooper uh, is a good rugby player, but I think that Richie McCall actually yeah, is the yeah. best rugby player. Yeah, man. Like so, I, I think um, I think the best player is like Neil Back, you know, because uh, Neil, uh, he, yeah, he always yeah. did the unseen work. Like he'd, he'd get the ball rather than not scoring tries or whatever. You know, uh, I'm a fan. Or Richard Hill, you know. Do you know who's really bad? Who? Uh, George Ford. Oh yeah, yeah, he's rubbish, mate. He's rubbish. He does no unseen work. Yeah, and um, and he's unsubscribed from your Patreon as well, so like we can now chat shit about him and be honest and yeah. like explain the truth that he's actually but not very good. It wasn't the Patreon; it was direct payments into a bank. Account. Oh, okay. They don't. Uh, yeah, okay. he didn't want to give the Patreon. Uh, everyone listening to this should um no uh, uh, on the Patreon though, you know, get on that and, and uh, should wait. No, we should also know that I'm definitely not receiving eight grand a month from George Ford to say he's good anymore. Yeah. Uh, oh, anymore. Sh- oh, no, yeah. Okay. Anyway, anyway, that, um, losing that losing that final really cost him in bonuses. Yeah, oh, he's so bad on the back foot. Oh, shut up! I'm not getting the not getting the lines. Oh, the good thing is he takes the ball. That's that's the thing. I'm so. Oh no! There was a no. I, I know you didn't um, watch the the DC coverage of the final of the weekend. But I'm just going to say this on air right now. Right, there's a moment, obviously, Larisha being a man down. Right, where Austin Healy did the most 1994 ass analysis I've ever seen. Where he stopped, the, there was like a scrum in Toulouse's own half, right? And he just does these lines of like, well, if uh, Untermach runs straight at the number 10, then uh, he's running the inside shoulder. Then he gives it to 12, and they run at the inside shoulder. Then they get it out the wing, and the wing will score. Have you heard and of Colby. defenders moving, lads? But that's the thing, like, you can see by the time, by the free frame he got to, the 9 had already moved, the 9 and the 7 had both moved into the 10's channel, and the 10 had began to drift on the screenshot he'd frozen it on. So we could see his point wasn't. It's good. not a board game, it's mate. So. Like, it's, it, it annoyed me so much that he couldn't see what was in front of him. Never mind have seen any rugby from the last 10 years. I don't know. Anyway, That's sorry, there you go. Uh, it was just should, a should do my man of the match. Analysis. Yeah, 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 please go. So, I mean, I was going to say Corey Jane was brilliant. Like, Corey Jane uh, was very every good. single touch of the ball, he did something positive. And, like, there was a couple of really penetrating kicks. And I think he really, in that period of pressure where the All Blacks were just not giving the Wallabies a sniff, I feel like he was the player who was most emblematic of it all and was yeah. constantly just piling on and everything sort of was coming through him, which is an unusual thing to say about a winger, but he was so, so good. But I'm I'm going to uh, agree with you. I think Richie McCaw is like, this is right up there with like the best game I've ever seen play for the All Blacks. You know, there's, this is, this is right up there. It's, it's definitely one of them. There's so many turnovers that are ju- just feel freakish. And that is the small margin that it, takes to get into a world cup final and i guess mm. win the thing eventually um so so much rested upon the shoulders uh of richie mccall and yeah everything the all blacks needed came through him yeah absolutely very very hard to disagree so the all blacks go through into the final to where they will face france yes 
But first, we now know the lineup of the big one, yes. which is the third place playoff, yeah. which will be between now we know Wales and Australia. That is such a big game. Like I can't wait for Craig Mitchell to play in it. <laughs> so that is going to be the next fixture. That is going to be the next game we are coming to yeah. on this podcast. The penultimate game yeah. of the Rugby World Cup 2011. And we have the final up soon. Like we have the final. Soon. Like, we know the lineup for the final now. We've not known it in the last 10 years. Like, we had it wiped yeah. until we watched it all back again. Yeah. From our memories. We've just been stuck watching the Croods over and over again. Yeah, man. Just in the hope like, that eventually oh, we get man. to A new age to watch has begun, thankfully. And soon a new age will be over as we yes. finish this podcast. So, yeah, next up we'll be watching the Wales-Australia game mm. in a way of sort of dampening the fact that there's a final coming up. Uh, yes. And we have a guest, do we not? Yes. So the the plan, all being well, I know because he's mentioned this on Blood and Mud, is Josh Gardner of the Blood and Mud podcast, who at the time was so depressed by the semi-final he didn't watch the third place. He just went to the pub instead, right? Something like that. Yeah, he just he just decided deliberately not to watch it. We'll find out what the real story is about that next week. So we're getting him to watch that game for the first time ever next week. So I asked Josh early on in doing this podcast, do you fancy doing the third place playoff? Uh, And he has since regretted that decision, (laughs) but. We'll find out how much next week. But yes, we'll see you all and Josh next week. Goodbye. See ya. Bye. See you bye. That's what I was saying. See you bye. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher. Because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.